The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Thompson, who is a financial writer. His latest book is on the options market, and it's called The Options Trading Book of Knowledge. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Good to be here, Jordan. There's a lot to cover in this uh, section, and and people may not be totally aware of options. So let's just start uh, with a little bit of uh, basics about options, and then we'll get into all the different strategies and all the things we cover uh, in this book. But why should somebody want to trade options uh, when they could trade uh, stocks and bonds and mutual funds, things they may be more familiar with? Well, an option is uh, an intangible right. It gives you the right to buy or sell 100 shares of stock. Each option refers to a specific stock and covers 100 shares. And it allows you to control that 100 shares without needing to buy it. You can exercise or not exercise an option, so it's a good form of leverage. And how have things changed in the options market? How popular are options today compared to uh, you know, several years ago? When calls were first introduced in the early 1970s, the first year that they were available, they were only on 16 stocks. And that first year, there were only about 1.1 million contracts traded. Uh, today, the options have become much more popular and uh, for example, there's 2.8 silly, excuse me, 2.86 billion with a B contracts traded in, in 2008. So it's exponentially increased in in popularity, and for very good reasons. They're not they're not just speculative tools. They can be used for a lot of very moderate and conservative purposes too. And the most recent trend in that is to use options as a portfolio management tool to reduce risk. So we'll get into that in more detail. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, you talk about uh, whether you should have a broker or not. For somebody who maybe doesn't have much experience in options but wants to learn about it, is it something they can learn on their own and start doing it online, or do you think it's good to have a broker? Yes, I, th- I think it is possible to get some degree of knowledge by going on one of the many sites that allows you to paper trade, meaning that you can trade in real time and, and see what happens to your money without actually putting any money up. And I think the Chicago Board Options Exchange, CBOE.com, has a very good paper trading facility on their site. There are a few others that are also free. And that's, that's a good way to see how a specific strategy actually comes out based on real market changes and market values. So you should actually do paper trading before you put real money in and see how that it's a It's a good way to at least get a, a grounding in uh, the mechanics of how the market works and how values emerge and change over time. So, again, uh, for somebody who say they've done some paper trading, you still think that they can do it on their own, or, or is it a good idea to have a broker? You know, it depends on the person. I think that, by definition, a uh, a person who is going to trade options is likely to, especially if they're going to speculate in options, is likely to 
uh, be the kind of person that makes their own decisions, but somebody who's trying to manage a portfolio and use options to ensure paper profits or to do covered calls or to do some of the more conservative ta- strategies might want to stay with a broker they already have, assuming that broker is knowledgeable about how to trade options himself, too. Yes. Um, in, in addition to regular options, uh, you say that there are leaps. Uh, maybe describe briefly what leaps are and how those are different from regular options. Leaps are simply long-term options. Most listed options in months are leaps, which is an acronym for long-term equity appreciation securities, is going to last up to 30 months. And, of course, they're more expensive because the longer the life of uh, an option, the more valuable it is. So you can actually fix the price of 100 shares of stock by buying a leaps call up to 30 months out. And in this kind of market, when you think about how much prices change and how quickly they change, that can be a considerable advantage to be able to fix in the price of shares of stock, perhaps before you have the money to actually buy those shares. Very good. All right. Well, let's start. You start at the beginning. And again, I'm speaking with Michael Thompson, who is a financial writer, who's written many books on the topic. Uh, his latest book is called The Options Trading Book of no- Body of Knowledge, uh, published by Financial Times FT Press. Uh, let's just go back to the beginning and, and start with the, uh, the absolute basics on options. So tell us uh, what a call option is. Okay. A call is the right, but not the obligation, to buy 100 shares of stock. So if you're a purchaser of a call, you would put money out, uh, usually between 5 and 10% of the value of the 100 shares of stock, and it varies based on a couple of factors, but you would buy that call and you would own that call until it it either expires or is exercised or sold. And by as the owner of the call, you have the right to buy 100 shares at a at a fixed price per share. Okay, and then how about selling calls? How does that work? Well, if you sell a covered call, meaning you own 100 shares of stock and you sell a call against those shares, uh, you receive money for that. And you have granted that those call rights to someone else. So, for example, if the value of the stock rises above the specified strike price of the call, someone else might uh, call that stock away by exercising the call. That's why it's called, why it's given that name, call, because your stock can be called away. In either event, two things are important to realize. When you sell a call, you you keep the premium even if someone exercises it against you. And secondly, as long as you have those shares of stock, you continue to receive dividends. Well, so that's the basics of calls, which is giving you the right to buy. And then uh, let's the opposite of a call is a put. Uh, tell us the basics of what a put is, both buying one and selling one. Right. In in buying a put, you are buying the right to sell 100 shares of stock at a fixed price. And this is the kind of thing you do where, let me give you an example. You've bought 100 shares of stock at $20 a share. Uh, Since then, it's risen to $30 a share. And you would like to protect that profit, but you don't really want to sell the shares. So by buying a put, you buy a form of insurance. So let's say you buy a put with a strike price of 30 what you're what you're doing is you're protecting that 10 points of appreciation without having to sell the stock. If the stock does fall back down, every point that the stock loses is going to be offset by one point of gain in the put. So, like for example, if the stock falls down to 24, six points below this high, your put should have six points of intrinsic value, and you can now sell that put and take the $6 back so you haven't lost the money. 
So that's really buying puts. And then how about selling puts? When you sell a put, you're giving someone else the right to sell 100 shares to you at a fixed price. <clears throat> when you sell the put, you receive money. And the risk is that you will have those shares put to you at the fixed strike price. So getting back to this other example, let's say instead of owning 100 shares, you decide you're going to sell a put at 30. And if the stock then falls back to 24, someone will exercise the put and you'll be required to buy 100 shares at 30, which is six points higher than current market value. So it's riskier. You can't really have covered puts as such, right? It's, it's... Um, the only way you can really do it is is on a rather synthetic level where you have sold stock short and you're covering that by selling a put. But you don't really need to get into that because with the options, you can do combined strategies that achieve the same thing without having to sell the sell short. So you're right that you can't really cover a put the same way you can cover a, put, a call. Yes. Okay, so we have the calls and the puts. The next uh, basic of options is what the underlying security is. So what are some of the underlying securities that people can uh, write options on? Most people write either buy or sell uh, options based on a specific stock. And options are available on most uh, stocks listed on the New York Stock Exchange, for example, practically all of them, and many smaller stocks and stocks on NASDAQ and over-the-counter as well. as opposed to the 16 stocks that were first available for options trading in 1973 today, uh, most listed companies offer options as well, especially anything more than a penny stock is probably going to have options on it. People can also write options on indexes, uh, exchange-traded funds, a, a variety of different uh, products on the market. You know, as most people who have looked at mutual funds, for example, realize that with ETFs, that whole business has really expanded. And one of the benefits of the ETF market is that many of them do allow you to either buy or sell options. So you think that's a good idea to do it over ETFs instead of individual stocks? Well, it is if you are a kind of person who wants to diversify by using mutual funds. An effective way to there's two effective ways to do that. Really, using options. One is by buying shares of the ETF. Let's say in the oil sector or gold, you are uh, buying the entire market, and so you're diversifying within that defined ETF basket. The second thing is that. If you can't afford $105 a share to get $10,000 to buy the gold ETF, for example, right now, uh, you can instead buy a a call, and that approximates the same effect so that if the stock goes up, the call will go up, and if it goes down, it also goes down. And by the way, one of the important things to mention about buying calls and puts is that your risk when you're long in in a call or put is always limited to the amount that you pay for that option. Meaning you could lose all of what you put up, but uh, not more than that. But let's take an example. Let's say that you buy a gold, um, uh, and the GLD is the gold ETF. If you buy a 100 shares of that and you put out $10,500, and let's say for some reason gold were to fall down to 50, well, you would lose half your money. So you'd lose uh, over $5,000 by buying the actual shares. But if you bought an option in that and paid, let's say, $600, the most you could ever lose, no matter what happened to the underlying ETF, is that you would lose the 600 Yes. So it doesn't limit your downside to, you know, in advance what you could lose. It, it limits it to 100% of a much smaller number. Yes. 
The next uh, element of options is a strike price. Explain what that works, uh, what a strike price is. The strike price is the fixed price that the option is related to. For example, we talked about buying a put at 30. The 30 is a strike price, meaning it's $30 a share. So you're going to buy or sell a put or a call uh, based on the underlying security, whatever the stock or index would be, at a, spe- a specified strike price, in this case 30 or $30 a share. And so there are different strike prices uh, going yes. out. We'll, we'll get into more to the... And, and they can't be changed. The underlying security and the strike price and time to expiration are all fixed features of every option. And then do talk about expiration and, and uh, when options expire. Yes, uh, the listed option expires in eight or nine months, and as we said already, the leaps last up to 30 months. The expiration date also is fixed. It is a, going to expire in a <clears throat> specified expiration month, and the last trading day of the, of the life of the option is the third Friday in that month. So after that third Friday, actually it expires on the third Saturday after the market is closed. After that, the any options that haven't been closed out or exercised or, or sold will expire worthless. Yes. So you have to know when these are going to expire. And then yes. when you hear people talk about double and witch, triple witching days, that's when all these things are expiring at the same time. Yes. The witching day refers to uh, the expiration date of options and future options on stocks, options on indexes and futures and futures contracts. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Thompson, uh, who's written a new book called The Options Trading Body of Knowledge, uh, learning all about the exciting and interesting world of options. We'll be back after this. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Thompson, uh, who is the author of a new book called The Options Trading Body of Knowledge, uh, the definitive source for information about the options industry. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. All right, we've talked about strike price, we've talked about expiration. Uh, now, uh, let, let's go into what makes up uh, the options premium. The premium is what the buyer pays to the seller for the right to buy that option. W- yes. What are some of the elements that go into determining the price of that premium? Okay, if you're a buyer, you pay the premium. If you're a seller, you receive the premium. There really are three elements to it. 
The first is the intrinsic value, which is the amount by which the option is in the money. Like, for example, if you're buying a call and you're buying it uh, at a point where it's the, the strike price is 30, but the stock is currently worth 32, you have two points or $200 of intrinsic value. With a put, it goes the opposite way. If you're buying a 30 put and the stock's at 27, you then have three points of intrinsic value. So that's the first element is how much yes. you're in or out of the money, as I would yes. say. Yes. The second element is called time value, and that relates to the distance between right now and when the option expires. And just as a mortgage accelerates uh, uh, more quickly as you get toward the payoff date 30 years in the future, you know, the, the principal declines very slowly at first and then picks up quite a bit at the end as you pay down the interest. The same thing happens with time value. It declines very slowly, especially in the leaps kind of options where you have 30 months to go till expiration. But then around the third or fourth month away from expiration, the decline in time value, which is called deterioration of time value, tends to pick up really rapidly. And then by the time that you're just before expiration, time value is zero. There's no time left, apparently. So that's, that's so why it's called So if you're that. buying options, do you tend to like have a lot of time uh, before you buy them or a short amount of time before they expire? No, you, you, want as little time, you want as little time value and as much time as possible. That's the ideal situation. Uh, so time is the enemy because when you have to pay for time value, you're, you're hoping that the stock, the underlying stock, goes up far enough and fast enough so that you can make money even with time value declining. Okay, and then the last element of uh, what makes up a premium is volatility. How does that work? Okay, volatility, or the implied volatility, as it's called with options, is also called extrinsic value, which is the non-intrinsic and non-time value. And this is the where the option premium is interesting. If If a stock becomes more volatile today than it was last week, there's a tendency for the extrinsic value to also increase in that option because there's more risk, but there's also more opportunity for that stock to move further into the money and make that option more valuable. So the more volatile a stock, the higher the um, volatility value tends to be. So like a Google would be very have a lot of volatility, and a, yes, and it a, does. a utility I, stock would have low volatility. Yes, like if, you, if you look, for example, at, at uh, Google and look at a call that has two months or three months to go until expiration, and then look at that as a percentage of the, in other words, look at the premium of that option as a percentage of the price per share, and then look at a very similar Con Ed uh, option, for example, with very similar circumstances, you'll find that the more volatile Google kind of stock is going to have a higher uh, overall value, and that's accounted for with intrinsic value. The thing to remember is that both intrinsic value and time value are not variables. They're going to always be very predictable based on where the strike price and uh, the current value and the time to expiration are residing at this moment. But extrinsic value is where all of the variables exist. Because something can be more volatile and then it can be less volatile, and that will affect what the premium is going to be. Absolutely. And by the way, all of these values, especially time value, is a, a problem for a buyer but an advantage to a seller. So that when you're selling an option, the higher the time value, the better for you because there's much less chance that that option is ever going to be worth more than you paid for it because of the decline in time value. I mean, some people say that buyers of options usually lose 
whatever, 80 or 90% of the time. Right? That's about right, yeah, Most at least 75%. So, so you're saying it's a riskier way to buy options. You can make more money, but a more conservative way is to be selling options. Yes. In fact, covered call writing is one of the most conservative things you can do in the market. It's a very, very conservative strategy. And the reason for that is if you have 100 shares of stock, you face the market risk anyway. Even if you don't do any options, you have a specific market risk of that stock falling in value. If you sell a call against it, um, you don't increase market risk at all. You, in fact, uh, reduce market risk because you receive money for selling the call. The only risk of selling the call is that if the stock does go into the money and your stock is called away, you only get the strike price. You don't get the current market value. So let, so you go through now various strategies that you can use with options, and one of them is covered calls. So why don't you just kind of briefly go through an example of uh, selling a covered call and, and how that would work, uh, what could go right and what could go wrong, depending on what happens to the stock price. All right. Let's say the stock right now is at $33 a share. And uh, you purchased it at, let's say, $29 a share. So you've made $400. You don't want to sell that stock right now, but you would like to generate some income above and beyond the, the paper profit and above and beyond the dividend. So if you look at a, a 35 strike call, meaning that the, that the fixed price that you're willing to sell the option for is 35, uh, you might consider selling that. If, if that call gets exercised, you make six points because you bought the stock at 29 and you're forced to sell it at 35. So you make six points plus dividends plus the option premium. Um, if you get uh, $300 for selling that option, you reduce your um, basis even further because you get to keep that money. So the good outcome would be if that option remains at or below the value that you paid for it, meaning the stock has to remain at or below 35. If the stock goes above 35 and the buyer on the other end of the transaction exercises the call, then your stock will be called away at 35. So you can set in advance what level of profit you would have because you know what you're going to sell it at. In many cases... It doesn't go over that level, and you're just able to do it again. I, I always say it's like renting out your stock to some extent. It is renting out your risk. stock, and you can do it on the short term. If you sell options that expire within one month, you can make a very impressive annualized return on that because you might make only, let's say, a half percent per month, but that's 6% per year plus dividends. Uh, you might make even more than the half percent per month. The risk is having your stock call away at a profit if you set it up correctly. But you're right, by programming it, you should always sell a call at a strike that is higher than your basis in the stock. If you're doing that, you're going to get less for it, right? If you're selling a call, it's effect out of the money. Yes, you'll, you'll get less for the option by doing that, but you have less risk of exercise. This is why I picked the example of the stock being at 32 or 33, because you're in between two strikes. Um, if you're right at the strike, I mean, let's say, for example, you waited till the stock rose to 35 and then you sold a 35 call, you would get more money for that because the strike and current value are closer together, but you also have a greater exercise risk at that point. Yes. Okay. All right. Some of the other strategies you talk about are uh, single options, speculative strategies. So I want to just briefly go through what some of those might be. Okay. Uh, 
again, the, the basic strategy of buying calls and puts is very speculative. And as you pointed out, 70 to 80 to maybe 90% of the time, you're going to lose money on those. But the idea is this, that if you buy an option, whether it's a call or a put, and the stock moves in the direction desired, meaning up for a call or down for a put, and if it happens quickly enough, that option will become more valuable than than what you bought it for, and then you can sell the option and keep the difference. And sometimes the percentages of these can, things can be very impressive. I mean, if you if you buy a call for $100 net of commissions and you're able to sell it two weeks later or three days later for 150 net of commissions, you've made a 50% profit in a few days. So but things have to go your, your way fast enough as well, right? They have to go your way fast enough. And it's the same with the put. If you think a stock's going to go down and you buy a put and the stock does go down, you could turn that around very quickly. Yes. So that's, that's one speculative strategy. The other one, which is much riskier, is to sell options. And we talked about the covered call, but a naked call, meaning that you sell the option without owning the stock, is very high risk because, in theory, a stock could rise indefinitely. So if you sell a 30 call without owning the stock and the stock were to rise to 50, you would be out $2,000. You would have to come up with that difference upon exercise of the of the call. Someone would exercise it and say, well, the stock's worth 50, but I want to exercise my 30 call. And so that means you have to sell them the stock at 30 and make up the difference between strike and market. And then another strategy is spreads. Why don't we describe how a spread might work? Okay. A spread is... Uh, is either buying or selling calls on either side of a strike. So let's say the stock right now is at 32. You could, for example, buy a, uh, a 35 call and also buy a 30 put. And whatever that cost is, you would have to have the stock move enough points in one direction or the other for one of those options to become more valuable than the total of what you spent. I mean, you can you can do this on a naked side too, where you you sell a um, sell a higher call and a lower put, and then your risk is much greater. But you also have a sort of middle profit zone, which is equal to the difference between or the spread between the call and the put, plus the number of points that you get for selling those options. But it's a risky strategy. We'll get into some more details about that. There's lots of ways of doing uh, spreads. Yes. Something else is uh, called straddles. Explain how a straddle might work. A straddle is when you open uh, two positions on, uh, on one strike of the stock. For example, let's say a stock is at 35 right now. You could buy a 35 call and buy a 35 put. And let's say one costs two points and one costs three points. So it would cost you $500 to open both of these in a straddle. Um, what you would have to do is have the the stock move that number of points one one way or the other in order to um, to make that become profitable. So there's a differential between the call and the put because the market is more bullish or bearish at, on that particular stock at that time. Is that right? Yes, and and the problem with both of these spreads and straddles is on the long side is that you need some substantial movement because on both on the long side you're going to be fighting time value in both call and put. On the short side, you're going to be dealing with risk on both call and put. So you really have to know what you're doing when you get into spreads yes, and straddles. Yes, you, you really do. Uh, another thing you talk about is combinations. Uh, what, what are some potential combinations with options? Well, one of the combinations that I think is, is really intriguing is a, um, a straddle that involves a covered call and a naked put. 
And, and so what you do in this case is you're short on both sides, but the call risk is very minimal because you're doing a very conservative covered call. On the put side, you have uh, the, the risk that that will be exercised and you'll be forced to uh, have shares put to you below market value. But because you receive money for both of these positions, your risk is really mitigated by the premium that you receive. And uh, that, that's one of my favorites as far as a combination strategy. There also are combinations that are synthetic. They, they are set up to uh, duplicate the performance of owning the stock, but for less, much, much less money. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Thompson, who's written a new book called The Options Trading Body of Knowledge. Obviously, there's a lot to learn about options here, and he's, he's a good source on all these things. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Tomset, who's a financial writer, and he has uh, just come out with a new book called The Options Trading Body of Knowledge, uh, the definitive source for information about the options industry, uh, published by FT Press, the Financial Times Press. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. All right, we uh, talk about market risks here. What are some of the main risks that people should understand in dealing with options? I think one of the most important risks, beyond what you risk being in the market anyway, is what I like to call knowledge and experience risk. You really need to understand how the options market works and understand the market risks you face in entering a position beyond simply owning stock or simply buying an option. The, the range of, of risks uh, include getting to know the jargon and getting to know what happens in specific cir- circumstances, including uh, what the margin requirements are going to be on the part of your brokerage firm, that how much money do you need to have in the account to do a specific strategy, and how does that change if the stock moves up or down? Those are the kind of things that that you pick up pretty quickly if you do some paper trading and see how a price movement of the stock affects your positions. But you need to know those things before you put real money in. That's the point. You also said that there is some inflation risk with options. How does that work? Yes. Well, I think options can actually address inflation risk. I think something that people often overlook is that they figure out what their return is that they want to set as a goal for themselves, but they don't allow for inflation. So they um, they don't realize that they're losing purchasing power 
or at best breaking even by making minimal returns on their portfolio. With options, you can actually create, as you said a little earlier, rent out your stock with covered calls and offset the effects of inflation and thus maintain purchasing power in real time by uh, creating more current income. You know, the combination of, di- of dividends and uh, price appreciation and options can go a long way to conservatively creating even double-digit returns on a conservative strategy that will more than offset inflation. And then you say that there are tax risks involved. Why don't you just give us some of the basics on how options profits are taxed, and losses for that matter, too? Uh, the tax rules for options are more complex than for most things. Uh, the IRS has uh, come up with a series of rules that restrict how and when you can deduct losses. For example, if you own 100 shares of stock and you want to get around the wash sale rules, so you sell the stock at the end of the year, but then buy a put within 30 days, that's treated as a wash sale. Uh, they, they consider those two positions to be married and in the sense that they're really um, taking the same position in stock, although one is through ownership of stock and one is through position in an option. And so they, you have to know in advance how a transaction is going to be treated in the event of a purchase or sale or in the event of a 30-day transaction. That's one of the things. The other thing that's most important is that what's called a qualified covered call. When you own stock and you own it for a year, you get long-term capital gains treatment, which means a lower tax rate. But if you sell a call that's too far out of the money, uh, you may lose uh, the right to get long-term capital gains on stock, even if you've owned stock for 11 and a half months. You might have that go back to zero as far as the way it's counted. And an unqualified covered call would be one that usually is more than one increment below the the, the uh, recent price. So if the stock's at 30 and you sell a 20 call as a covered call, that's not going to be qualified. That's an unqualified covered call. And if that's exercise, it's the whole thing, including the profit on the stock, is going to be treated as a short-term capital gain. Uh-huh. And you say actually combining those two, uh, both inflation and taxes can be a double hit. How would that work? Yes, the, the double whammy of taxes and inflation is something that a lot of people don't realize how serious that is. If you uh, think that making a 5% return, for example, is, is reasonable, you might be surprised to learn that you're actually losing purchasing power when you consider both inflation and taxes. And the formula for that is you divide the rate of inflation that you're assuming. Let's say it's 3%. You divide 3 by the after-tax income that you that you earn every year. So if your combined tax rate is 40%, you divide 3 by 60, and that would be your break-even point, which is, is, uh, is means you need to make at least that 5% in that case. 3% divided by 60 is, in fact, 5%. So at 5%, you're just breaking even. You're not making any after-tax, after-inflation money. You're breaking even. Yeah. So if you're making 4% in that situation, you're losing money. You also talk about uh, the risk of diversification and asset allocation. How would that apply to options? I think that most people think of diversification risk as, as one where uh, you are not diversified enough, and so uh, you need to spread money around in more things. But there's also the opposite problem, which is the over-diversification risk, meaning that you have money spread around in so many different things that any 
profits you make are going to be more than likely offset somewhere else in your portfolio. So you're lucky to approximate the market overall return. There's a problem with a lot of mutual fund and ETF investing. And options can also present a solution to that by creating that that, uh, extra income just by writing covered calls against stock or ETF, for example. And it's the same with asset allocation. I think that you can only allocate to a degree. And the the larger your portfolio is, the more important it becomes to have a very well-thought-out allocation program between uh, individually owned stocks and mutual funds, real estate, the bond market, uh, any any other kinds of markets where you want to put money. And you need to monitor that so that you know, uh, given changing economic and market circumstances, how you want to change your allocation formula. And then you say one of the biggest parts of uh, options is leverage risk. And leverage can work for you or against you. How do you get leverage working for you with options? With options, uh, a good example is let's say that you would like to buy 100 shares of, of a stock um, or index or ETF, but you don't have the money right now. But you, you think, well, within the next two years, I think this is going to go up and I'm going to miss the opportunity to get my 100 shares because I don't have the money right now. But if you can afford an option, you could buy a call right now and that freezes that price. If you did exercise that option later, you would get the strike price. So, for example, if something is right now at $60 a share and you buy a 30-month call, and 30 months later, that stock has risen to $100 a share, you could exercise the call and buy the shares at 60 So that right. gives you great leverage because you're controlling the 100 shares for very little of the money required to buy 100 shares. You know, for putting about putting down a lot less money to control... Instead of having to put out the full amount of money for the shares, and that gives you the leverage. Yes, and this kind of leverage is very useful in in, uh, one uh, uh, trading strategy called swing trading, where you can uh, buy calls at the bottom of a price swing and then buy puts at the top of the price swing and make the money very short term in that trend that just moves over a three- or four-day period. So that gives you tremendous leverage that's much more uh, desirable than having to buy shares of stock. You can do it for less money. Indeed. Okay, and then uh, you have a chapter, what you call elements of value, uh, and this is when you're trying to pick um, which option, of the many, many options and strike prices to, to choose, uh, which is the best one to do. So the, you, you talk about proximity and price. So in general, is it better to, to buy an option that is uh, near the, the money, near where the stock is trading, or out of the money where it's not trading yet, or in the money where it's already past that level? What, what are some of the uh, pros and cons of, of uh, different you know, levels of, of strike prices that you're, you're trying to buy that? It's a real balancing act to pick the right one because if you – and this is a good exercise for anybody who is just learning about options for the first time – to study a listing of options. If somebody has a brokerage account and you go into an options link within the account and just look at the range of options, you see how these prices vary based on – two things, which is the proximity between price of the stock and strike of the option, and the other thing is is the time to expiration. So if you're looking at a stock that's at 32, you're going to see that, we're just looking at calls, that all of the calls at 30 are going to have that intrinsic value because the strike is lower than the current market value. And the further above that strike or above that you get with the option strike prices, the less expensive the options are. But also the less likelihood that it will ever go into the money and become valuable. So it's a real balancing act between 
how long you think you need to keep your money out there to give the stock a chance to move the way you need it to move versus how much you're willing to put at risk to buy the option. You then say it's important to pick the right kind of stocks when you're using options. I'm saying you're going to be doing covered calls. What are some of these uh, selection criteria you, you would have people use uh, to pick the correct stocks on which you should uh, be writing options? I think the most important one is that any kind of option trades you do that involve owning shares of stock, and, and the one that comes to mind, first of all, is covered call writing, is that you should start from the point of view of limiting your trades to stocks that you want to own, whether you do options or not. I think a lot of people make the mistake of buying stock specifically to do covered calls, and based on the richness of the premium, they consequently end up buying the riskiest stocks because there's, there's richer premiums because of the volatility of the stock and the implied volatility of the options. So you would buy stocks that are much riskier than you would otherwise just to write covered calls, and that's invariably going to lead to some losses you weren't expecting. So as a starting point, I think you want to limit this activity to stocks that you want to own anyway. And however you make that judgment, I think that whether it's a fundamental or technical or a combination of those, you should start with a short list of indicators that you use to test a stock. And, you know, my favorites in those are the P-E ratio should be below 20. The dividend rate should be uh, above 4 four to six percent uh the company should have reported a profit in recent years <laughs> which a lot of companies have not uh and i think that th there's there's a volatility issue that you want to have a stock for the purpose of options you don't want a stock that has no volatility but you don't want a stock that's extremely volatile because you want something sort of in between so that you can you can have that action in, in the changing price of options without putting yourself at tremendous risk. Very good. Okay, we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Tomset, uh, whose new book is called The Options Trading Body of Knowledge, uh, published by FT Press. A uh, lot of information here to learn about options. It's really very profitable if you uh, learn to do it right. We'll be back after this. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Thompson, uh, who is the uh, financial author and uh, written a lot of books on various aspects of personal finance and investing. 
His latest book is called The Options Trading Body of Knowledge. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you. We're talking about how to select options and stocks. Um, You say you want to diversify your portfolio by risk profile. What do you mean by that? Well, I think most people tend to think that that they have a single risk profile, that you, you would label yourself as conservative or moderate or or very uh, you know risk averse and I think that in fact a lot of people really can diversify by by putting a majority of their portfolio into uh, moderate or conservative instruments like blue chip stocks for example and then take a smaller portion of their portfolio and um, use it for things like options or uh, small cap stocks or maybe something in the bond market or or a very volatile ETF, for example, you can do more than one risk profile, and that's a very effective way to diversify. And by the way, options as a part of that is a good way to diversify a long portfolio, meaning you own, let's say, eight or ten stocks. You might want to write covered calls on two or three of those. It gives you extra income and more diversity that way. Yes. And then you say there are also various technical selection indicators. What are some of the key technical things you want to look at in selecting stocks and the options to write on them? I think that some of the technical indicators that uh, that I find most valuable is uh, focused on trading range. I think that it's a good test of volatility rather than looking at 52-week price ranges, which can be very deceptive. They don't always tell you how volatile the stock is right now. It might just report a one-year volatility history. But if you look at the current trading range, I think it's much more interesting to look at the breadth of the range. In other words, a stock that has a four-point breadth is much safer than a stock with a, uh, in the last month that has 12 or 15 points. And that's going to tell you also which kind of uh, options you're going to find on there, whether they're going to be very rich and very expensive or whether they're going to be relatively low-priced. And that's a good way to match stocks and options to your risk profile. So you're talking about volatility. You're talking about the breadth of the trading range of the stock, um, how it has compared now to, in the past, the kind of trading range it's had. And uh, support and resistance, maybe just briefly talk about support and resistance for a stock so you kind of know where it is. Yes, I think that uh, when when you are looking at stocks and considering options, I think that it puts a new light on support and resistance. And just to very briefly cover that, support is the lowest price in the current trading range that people are willing to pay for the or what people are willing to sell the stock. Resistance is the highest price at which people are willing to buy the stock. So that sort of defines the trading range bottom to top. And when you find a stock that is continually changing its trading range, where it's either emerging and moving back and forth or breaking out and coming back. It's a very volatile stock as compared to a stock with a very dependable trading range with support and resistance. That's much more uh, acceptable for most people. People who buy stocks like them to be somewhat predictable. And the trading range doesn't mean that the price is fixed. It means the breadth is fixed. So a stock that is rising over time might be gradually rising while maintaining a four-point breadth in the trading range. So you see the distance between support and resistance remaining the same, even as the stock is rising or falling with a, tr- with a tra- changing trading range in terms of price. The support and resistance levels remain approximately the same. So then uh, in this book, you go through literally A through V, I guess it is, um, all the different kinds of options 
strategies. In many cases, these are kind of visual, and it's uh, hard to get these out over the radio. Yes. Uh, but there are many, many different uh, option strategies we could go through. I, I w- did want to spend a little bit of time on how people can learn uh, more about options. So you have at the end uh, some online resources that people can learn about. Why don't you give us some of your favorite resources where people can learn more about trading options? Sure. I, I wanted to go to that part of the book and find it for myself so I can make sure and give, if there's web addresses, give them the um, the best... Well, um, well uh, one the is right the, the, uh, the, the uh, Options Industry Council is kind of the uh, uh, educational arm of the options business. Yes, uh, that was formed in 1992, and uh, the purpose is to educate people about options, and they, they provide a lot of free classes and a lot of great information about about options. And by the way, you can find uh, also a lot of classes, not all free, but at the Options Clearing Corporation and the CBOE, which are actually related to each other, they both also have a lot of um, good educational benefits. In other words, by going to Options Industry Council or the CBOE, you can find out a lot about options just by going online and downloading articles. Yeah, the Options Industry Council is uh, www.888options.com. Yes. I think that's also their phone number, 888-OPTIONS. And the CBOE, which is the Chicago Board Options Exchange, is cboe.com uh, as well. Yes, and by the way, they have an excellent paper trading site on there, too. So that's definitely a good idea before you put real real money in. Yeah, they also have, uh, every day, they have um, very detailed options listings, and you can specify the range. You can look at all of the options for a given stock, or you can look at uh, options by a specified strike press. So that's a very good, flexible place to start looking at options. But they also are a great education arm, and in addition to being the, the central options exchange for options trades in the country. I guess the question would be, how hard is it to learn about these things? I mean, it, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of the basics. The book covers into all kinds of different strategies. Is this uh, you know, too difficult for most people, or, or is it something well, the average I don't think it's too learn? difficult, but I think the mistake a lot of people make is trying to jump in too soon. So I think that a combination of a couple of things is worthwhile. One is reading about the subject, whether online or through books or articles, is very important to master the the lingo of the industry, which is very specialized. Secondly, doing some paper trading into the point to the point where you think that you understand the risks well enough to actually put some real money into it. And then third is defining what your risk level is and what kind of option strategies are appropriate for you. I mean, one of the great things about options is that you can design a strategy to fit any profile. There are extremely conservative strategies all the way to very high-risk strategies. And the big mistake is to think you're doing something conservative and end up finding out it was very risky. So you need to define not only what your risk profile is, but which strategies are appropriate for you and for your portfolio. And I think if you do those things and give yourself some time, you can become very proficient in this industry. And there's some people that this is all they do. They just That's right. do options all day from home and uh, write covered calls. And, uh, right. They're called day traders, and that's all they do. They do in and out of positions. And, again, uh, somebody who's going to succeed at that is going to be very proficient in understanding what, they've, what they're doing. But those people have also um, been doing this for many years, and they understand how to analyze stocks and options. And they, of course, have the language completely down which yeah. I think are important foundations for any kind of options trading strategy. 
the middle part of your book, you go through literally A through Z, uh, different kinds of option strategies. How should people pick amongst all these different strategies what's going to be appropriate for their situation? Well, you know, that's challenging because a lot of the strategies are either very similar or there is lingo. There are names that are thrown around that there might be two different names that mean the same thing. And I think that what I tried to do in this in these three chapters where I laid out the strategies is I, first of all, give the name and then explain what it is and give an example. And then I have a uh, two things. I have a graphic that shows the loss and profit zones and the break-even zones. And then I have a chart or a table that also shows the, the total value of the position at various prices. So you can kind of see how the position will change as a price changes. And that's that's a good way to do it. But I think that it's it's also important to know whether you're going to be somebody who wants to do conservative or risky strategies as a starting point. Yes, and there are many. You can go extremely conservative, you can go extremely aggressive and speculative and everything yes. kind of in between. Yes, and this is where the portfolio management aspect of this becomes so important is that if you are, for example, trying to protect paper profits without needing to sell stock, then you want to look at buying puts. If you want to create extra cash when you think that a stock is really depressed and is going to bounce back, but you don't have money to buy more shares, you can buy calls. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do to enhance or protect your portfolio with some relatively simple strategies. And I I did go into some detail on those in the book, but you're right, with an alphabetical uh, summary of the strategies, it's great if you know the strategy you want to look up. But if you don't know where you fit, you need to, first of all, get a grounding in some of those basics. Terrific. Well, thanks so much, Michael. It's been fascinating. There's certainly a lot of people to learn about options. Uh, Again, uh, Michael Thompson's book is called The Options Trading Body of Knowledge, uh, published by FT Press. And people have got a good background now, and there's lots more to learn about options and something people really can learn. So thanks again for joining us on the show, Michael. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.